0: Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Trash Cinema. This episode will be discussing In the Name of the King, I don't know why I have to do these things, uh, and Sword of the Valiant. Surprisingly, I liked the second one way, way more than the first one, which took many tries to finish. Yes, I know, I I should have been well aware, because the U-Bowl movie I tried to sway my co-host into something else. Didn't work. Seriously, like. 15 other choices of sword and sorcery movies that would uh be well considered for trash cinema come on death stalker why are we not talking about death stalker no in the name of the king he has to choose not in the name of the king 2 thankfully or 3 which yeah things go downhill trust me on this one so before we jump into the episode here's a couple trailers Majesty. Krug. They killed off our entire scouting party. Hordes of
1: Krug are ransacking the land. Darkness is frightening us.
2: My father despise you so. He has used you to destroy me. Tomorrow we march on Christ Hall. The approaching Krog out numbers twenty to one. <laughs> you will spare no traitor. You <laughs> demand this all in You have no. Idea. My vengeance. Field of Honor. A knight's courage is put to the test. Miles O'Keefe is Sir Gawain, the greatest knight of all. His strength equal by none. Sir Gawain's power is supreme until now. Sean Connery is the mysterious Green Knight. All I seek is good sport. Trevor Howard is the king shall have some proof tonight that knightliness still lives within these walls. My liege, give me the axe. I give you a year's grace to grow your beard. Sean Connery throws down the gauntlet of challenge. Sir Gawain accepts and sets out on a dangerous adventure, marked by combat and the promise of death. Only his courage as a knight can save him. Cyril Clare is the beautiful woman. Go help!
3: help! I've always loved you.
2: Ronald Lacey is the evil Oswald. She's mine. His lust for wealth and power is surpassed only by his brutality. His fiery passions engulf all. Peter Cushing is the cunning Seneschal. Are you bold enough? Your father. The are mine! John Riz Davies is the Baron Fortinbras. Lee Lawson is Humphrey, loyal only to Sir Gawain. (laughs) You're not playing my game, Gawain. You have a ring, and it does not belong to you. Fighting the forces of magic and sorcery, Sir Gawain is faced with unearthly dangers. Is challenged by all, defeated by none. a remarkable man, fighting the treachery around him. Leave the wretch to his miserable end. Always courageous. Forward into battle. Always victorious. <laughs> Tomorrow I ride out to meet the Green Knight. The ultimate challenge awaits. Him. We have an appointment in the Green Chapel before the sun goes down. You've had your cut. The game is over i
1: make the rules boy i
2: make the rules sean connor and miles o'keefe in sword of the valiant an epic tale of a legendary knight a knight called
0: sir gawain hey everybody welcome to another episode of trash cinema as you heard earlier uh you'll be sitting through some long trailers and here's the episode Okay, so In the Name of the King and Sword of the Valiant are the movies we'll be discussing in this double feature and my guest returning to the show and his choice for the movies, Kent Hill. Hey you doing, Michael? Um, well, if I had stuck to the first movie, I would have been fine. And uh, <laughs> it took me a while to get around to watching the other one. <sighs>
4: <laughs> well, i tell you what, the reason that, the reason that I, I picked... Uh, in the Name of the King to go with Sword of the Valiant is in a lot of ways because In the Name of the King, I feel, is kind of like, I don't know, in contrast, it's kind of like the modern equivalent of Sword of the Valiant because if you look at oh, the two titles, they're a similar sort of, you know, they're obviously they're, they're in a similar genre. Uh, Sword of the Valiant was, was cashing in on a lot of the... Sword and Sorcery films that were popular at the time. In the Name of the King, uh, you can pretty much tell that it's it's trying to. Doctor Bowl is trying to um, to get on in the whole popularity of the Lord of the Rings and all that sort of thing. And uh, in both cases, they they feature a pretty pretty impressive cast, or, or a cast that you know um, are being are being pulled together to, you know, Obviously, you know, I mean, he's he's, he's got actors. In the name of the king that at the time were, I mean, somewhere on the rise. I mean, Jason Statham um, was on the way up. Uh, You've got uh, some actors that we hadn't heard from
0: in a while, like Ray Liotta. Uh, Certainly the aged king, Burt Reynolds. Um, Still, seriously, Burt Reynolds. uh, That's almost worse than the Ray Liotta idea. I just, I scratch my head every time. I know why they did it. They, They grabbed names that could sell internationally because this is clearly a movie yeah. that you're selling at my you know at one of those big international film festivals where they just need names and um, a light description of the plot they don't need to know what the script is sure
4: um did you see that documentary no uh, i, I saw
0: where did you find it because i went looking yeah. for it you can um you can get
4: i think you can stream it off amazon
0: oh okay like,
4: i have i have an account like but i never plot. use it yeah I think, you can, I think you can stream it for like five bucks or something and um, <clears throat> or you can I think you can watch it on YouTube as well I think it's on YouTube as well but um, <clears throat> it ends basically because it, it sort of charts bowl right up until uh, in the name of the king and then of course his um, his legendary event where he took on uh, his critics in, in a boxing match
0: the <laughs> um, <laughs> craziest idea, but I give him credit. That's that's a ballsy thing to do. Yeah,
4: and, and the thing is that you, what you get from the documentary is not only does it sort of present at the time because a lot of people at the time just saw him as some sort of raving uh, lunatic who was, you know, uh, who for, for, the, for the vast majority considered made bad movies, and why was he kicking out so much of a stink? And so he takes on his critics, he basically says, you know, if you... If you beat me in a a match uh if if they beat him then he would not make movies anymore um but the thing was is the guy's really dedicated and he actually went out and learned to box like he he said yeah this is a legitimate boxing tournament so he went out and actually trained for it so when the critics turned up they were quite surprised like he didn't go into the ring wearing like headgear or anything like that he went um he went in i think he had a mouth guard on but he did, they were all padded up and everything, and he went in and he, he basically beat the crap out of all four of them. Um, and uh, because he trained for it, because he said, you know, I'm legitimately going to fight my critics. And he said, I don't know how to box, I'm going to learn. And uh, and so he took them on, and uh, and won. But basically, the the film ends with him trying to find a distributor for *In the Name of King*, and it's a pretty harrowing, harrowing sort of. Uh, scene where you see him have a screening for it and it's in like it looks like it's in a big hotel uh, somewhere but it's obviously in like a conference room somewhere like, and a couple of these distributors come in and they're, they're obviously they're interested at that point but then they watch the film and there's a pretty harrowing scene where you watch the guy sort of leaning forward in his chair and just the look is like oh crap when is this going to finish like I just when what I, what I, <laughs> I think of that scene I thought of you watching it Um, it's like oh crap when am I going to get out of here you know and they kind of leave and they don't say too much and you can see that he's obviously disappointed because it really wasn't the best sort of place to even watch a movie let alone screen a movie for potential buyers it was pretty it was a pretty ragged affair but um yeah like I said in watching it watching in contrast with Sword of the Valiant because the Cannon boys did, did you know, played a similar game. They, they would come up with this idea and they would get you know, big, uh, bigger stars as they, as they could or names, like you said, to, to sell it. and so go. Okay, it's in the name of the king. We've got Jason Statham, Brent Reynolds, you know, um, <laughs> Ray Liotta, you know, Ron Powell, John Reyes Davies, um, Sobieski, Christina Loken, you know, um, and, and, and whoever else. But um, yeah, but I mean, if, if you watch them, in, if you watch them together in that respect, there's a lot of contrast. Of course, the great crossover is John Rhys Davies is in both
0: Oh right, right. Uh, films. I didn't realize that till now. He's in. Um,
4: he's in. Uh, he plays uh, Lord Fortinbras in uh, uh, sort of the Valley's. But um, in the name of the king, great. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that could have been could have done well if the film didn't take itself so seriously, um, and, and it would have come across sort of that great, sort of unintentionally funny. But because it's taking itself very seriously, and trying to be like a Lord of the Rings-esque type affair, um, that's where the whole it drags because it is he, he is legitimately trying to make like a mainstream type movie. But what could have worked well is if it was done a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and that probably would have made it a lot more rollicky, a lot more fun. Um, but, uh, I mean, there are some great bits. And look, I think I told you, I interviewed Doug Taylor who wrote it. Um, Doug Taylor's this great uh, great guy, Canadian screenwriter, um, who worked with Vincenzo Natale on Splice, which is a great film. Um, but uh, when I got to interview Doug, I was like, You've, you've got to tell me your U Bowl story. And he's like, totally. And so he told me. Uh, <laughs> and he said initially everything's fine, but he said the, the, ultimately the, the biggest, uh, let's say, downfall of U is that he listens to everybody. He's very collaborative. And he said his biggest problem is he would listen. Like he said, John Reyes Davis and Burt Reynolds would constantly come at him and say, Oh, could we add the, the, uh, this dialogue? Um, change this scene here and he handed to everybody and say yes and so that is what really uh, in Doug's estimation also in, in thinking about it now in my estimation is probably what messes with a lot of his films because he literally is changing stuff all right
0: hey can you hear me yep
4: yeah. okay so yeah anyway as I was saying um with Doug Taylor he said literally Hubbell would pander to whatever his actors would want and so he said John Rhys Davies and and um, Reynolds and that would come to him with like oh you know <clears throat> I think he, I think my character should say this here and should say that here and all this sort of stuff but he said you know otherwise a great experience he says he's a you know he was a really nice guy um, the funny one of the funny stories was that Doug sort of, uh, had, had sort of he, he thought he was finished and so he leaves he goes back home to uh, to the other side of Canada. And uh, he gets a phone call. And it says, uh,
0: you know, uh, they want to put uh, ninjas... <laughs> <laughs> oh, ninjas uh, are better in everything. Yeah, in the story,
4: in the, in the movie. And he's like, no, no, you can't do that. Uh, she's like, oh, you know, please, please, could you try? So he said, um, all right, but he said... To call them ninjas, so he ultimately rewrote the scene and he called them the King's Guard and he said they're an elite force and they fight a little bit differently to the, the traditional, you know, battalions and of course when he got to the film knowing Ubal is the way he is if he wanted ninjas um, of course the screen comes up and Doug, Doug says it better than I can, but he says, you know uh, if they look like ninjas and they dress like ninjas they fight like ninjas. They're ninjas. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. And um, so literally, all the man wanted ninjas, he got his ninjas. Um, and as soon as Doug said it, I said, well, that's the title <laughs> of, of, of the interview uh, between me and him. I thought, that's a great line. You know, if they look like ninjas and dress like ninjas and fight like ninjas, they're basically ninjas.
0: Well, ninjas existed but, back then, correct? Um, Sorry. Ninjas existed back then in that time period, right? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Hmm.
4: I, I suppose if we were talking real world, then probably yeah. Um, the the, the dungeon siege world. Um, I don't know.
0: I'm gonna find out right that's now. When did question. the ninjas? Oh, they didn't appear till the 15th century, so no.
4: Okay. Dang. But um, yeah. So uh, you know, women yeah put ninjas in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, another funny story. I, I played this movie for my wife some time back, and I think I told Doug the same story. And, and I, I started, and I said, she said, what is this? And I said, this is like Who Bowls." Um, Lord of the Rings. And she goes, oh, my God, you and your Bowl movies. And so she's watching, and she didn't have a problem until Ray Liotta showed up in the movie. And she said, is that Ray Liotta? And I said, yeah. She said, is he an evil wizard? <laughs> and I said, she said, that's just wrong. She said, "What right. want to fall from grace. And she goes, I don't pay enough money. Is
0: that stupid? <laughs> that's exactly my problem with the movie. <laughs> you're just watching him going, I think he even has still his like New York accent. He's wearing that leather coat. He does not look like he belongs that, that century. But here's the yeah. thing is that he's a wizard. And I didn't think about this until later, is that it doesn't mean he's from their timeline. He could have traveled with his magical powers anywhere in time.
4: Yeah, he's, he's probably like the man in black from, like, the Dark Tower. You know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, she was, that took a right out of the movie. She didn't have a problem with the aged King Burt Reynolds. I said, for me, the strange thing was Burt When I saw Burt Reynolds as the King, that kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, wow, Burt Reynolds, yeah. But she, yeah, Ray Liotta really took her out of the movie. And I was like, oh, really? Okay.
0: Well, it's also you because know, everybody I, else does an English accent, except for Burt Reynolds and Ray Liotta, who are clearly like, enough fucking, just give me my check. I'll do it the way I'm going to do it.
4: Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, yeah, and even, uh, what's his name? Scream guy,
0: Matt, is it Lydia? Yeah, uh, Lillard or something like that. Know. Yeah. He, um, even, he does like a cheesy sort of, you know. You
4: know, it's my birthright. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's easily like, like the crazy, evil nephew or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. What is the first? What is the first time you experienced a U. U-Bowl film?
4: Oh, the first time. Um, I think it was probably. I think it was probably. I think it was House of the Dead.
0: Yeah, I think that's when most people discovered his filmmaking. And once he started locking in on the video game movies, is when he became kind of a household name. I'd actually seen him. What's that?
4: Yeah. I think it was House of the Dead because I I remember getting it out because the video store that I worked in had the game, the the, the arcade machine, in the video store. And I was like, wow, okay, they made a movie out of that. That, That'd be interesting. And (laughs) uh, we got, I remember we used to get like. um, Press kits for the different videos that were coming out, and we'd get preview tapes and all this sort of stuff. And I just—I <laughs> remember reading at the time an online uh, an online critic had uh, who used to do film reviews as though he were the characters from Spinal Tap. <laughs> and, That's great. And each each film he would review it as a different character. Like one time he'd be Nigel. One time he'd be Derek, one time he'd be, you know. And so um, when he did House of the Dead, he said, you know, it's basically, you know, like in Spinal Tap they have a review. Rob Ronick is a review of their album Shark Sandwich. It's basically Shit Sandwich. And so uh, in this
0: review of House of the Dead, he said, well, it's basically Shit House
4: of the Dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had actually experienced his films a couple years before, because uh, he had done a movie with Michael Perret, and I think Casser Van Dien called Sanctimony, and I'm a huge, massive fan of Michael Perret, and I'll watch, even though most of his movies are complete shit, uh, he's always really reliable. He's like the Robert Forrester of uh, this generation, where he's just always reliable and does these little movies that, you know, they don't really do well if they end up in the theaters, but I get the feeling that someday he's going to have a comeback, and, and that's how I first experienced You Bowl. But it wasn't shitty yet. It wasn't until I think I saw House of the Dead where I was like, mm, this is not well made yeah. at all.
4: Yeah, yeah it, was, it was House of the Dead that I watched. I was like, damn, this is really bad. But I think I laughed a lot of the way through it. And I was at a drunken party not long after that when Alone in the Dark came out. And we were drunk and watching that movie. And it was a really fun beer and pizza movie. Um, with uh, Christian Slater and uh, Sharknado chick. Um, oh, uh,
0: I can't remember her name either. Well, Stephen Dorf's in it, and ah, uh, blonde girl oh, Tara Reed. Tara Reed. Tara Reid. That's right. And uh, that was
4: man. I, I I've never watched that film sober, but I dare say, being drunk films. Um, but that was hilarious. I thought, and um, uh, and and I just kind of I kind of stuck with it, and um, <laughs> I, I was hanging in there, um, but when I finally got to talk to O’Bol, oh, I’ll tell you a funny story about the one I got to
0: interview. Holy shit! You got like, to talk to him?
4: Yeah, on the phone. Wow. And I got I got through to him first via email. Um, someone at his production company gave me his email, and he said he’s pretty good at responding. And um, because a friend of mine had written a book, and um. You know, I, at the time I was trying to always get like sort of directors or screenwriters and stuff. I needed to do little blurbs for these books. And I said to my friend, I said, what if we could get you a bowl to do like a little blurb for your book? And he said, that would be fantastic. So I sat about trying to get in contact with him. Eventually got his email and he responded within a, within a day. And he said, yes, I'll have a read of it. And he did. And he wrote a little blurb. So I emailed him again when I started podcasting him softly. And I said, um, because this is around the time he was going to quit. Like he said, he's quitting for good this time. And um, I said, I'd love to talk to you before you quit making movies. you know. And he said, oh, not now, I'm busy and all this sort of stuff. Um, but email me again in a week. So email me again in a week. And next thing, this number pops up on the email. Nothing else, just the phone number. And he says, call me tomorrow at 10 a.m. L.A. time which is 3 a.m. in the morning
0: here. Oh,
4: no. So my wife automatically is shitty. She said, you're going to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning to talk to fucking Uwe And I said, <laughs> <laughs> how many times in your life do you get to do it? Right, it. right? And I said, hey, yeah, yeah, shitty, I'm going to. How many times do I need to talk to Uwe Anyway, so I get on the phone and it rings. The first time it rings out, I thought, I'll give it one more try. So I ring it again and he answers the phone. He's like, oh, this is Uwe ball you know. And like, Mr. Bull, it's, it's Kit Hill. And he's like, ah, oh, yes. He says, about to interview. Listen, I uh, I only have a short time of waiting for my car, so you can talk to me until my car comes and then I must go. And I said, okay. <laughs> I said, you're waiting for a car? He says, yeah, I'm waiting for someone to pick me up the car. You can talk to me until the car comes and then I must go. I said, okay. And we got through questions, and he was pretty, like, <laughs> pretty blunt. Like, I was expecting him to sort of, you know, maybe rattle on a little bit but he was pretty innocent what was that like oh uh, it was good <laughs> you know what was like, can you tell me any stories from like blood rain yeah Michael Masden was always drunk and Michelle Rodriguez was on to change her lines you know <laughs> and uh, I said did anything, anything bad ever happen making movies yeah on Rain, 2 I nearly burnt down this whole western village it was like the biggest like insurance problem I've ever had and I'm like okay good. You know? <laughs> And I said, that did, did you ever keep things from movies like Little Mementos? I said, yeah, I kept the boxing gloves from Max Manning. Hey, uh, okay. You
0: know, that is actually yeah, a great. good movie. He's actually made a few decent movies. That's decent. I like Tunnel Rats. Um, what is the one? Uh, you know, he goes into the office, Wall Street. Uh, is it a, a Attack on Wall Street, Assault on Wall Street? Yeah, yeah. Those are actually decent films. That's- it's when he gets attached to a video game is when it just goes wrong. Yeah.
4: 'Cause like all those ones like Blood Blood Rain, you could almost like it's 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 hilarious too. It's, and again, you look at the cast, I mean you he had Ben Kinsley in that movie for God's sake. Um, <clears throat> which makes me always want to talk to Ben Kinsley and say, How the hell did you end up in the middle of a bowl movie? Um or how much did they pay you to end up in an old ball well, movie?
0: If I remember correctly, um, I think he got a million dollars, and they promised him, you know, that he would be above the title. And he just loved the fact that he could play like a Dracula-style character. Yeah,
4: that, that'd, be, that'd be a reason. But um, it, it's 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 an hilarious film. Uh, I think my favorite bit is is uh, Meatloaf as the transvestite. <laughs> uh, owner of the, of the vampire bordello it's
0: um, I, mean, I didn't even realize he was uh, in it I totally forgot about that
4: and not forgetting the, the, the very tiny cameo by Billy Zane who pops up as like this messenger at one point delivers this message and then you don't see him ever again
0: yeah, and I think, if I remember correctly, he is responsible for introducing U-Bold to the guys who are like, starting this new company, and they said that Blood Rain was going to be at, like 2,500 theaters, and it came out at, like 800 with a $2 million promotion, and he sued them, and there's serious. and that's when you see his career kind of take a downfall, because if it hadn't been for the Blood Rain fumble, I think In the Name of the King probably would have got released better, because if I remember correctly, it was on, like 1,200 screens, and I think Fox just said, man, nah, let's just... Put this away. Yeah. But, um, I, I, one of
4: my favorite, honestly, my favorite, one of my favorite Ubal movies is Far Cry. I think it's one of the most consistent. Like, it's, it's tonally consistent sort of all the way through. Um, with, um, I can't pronounce his name, Til Schweiger. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: my ter- terrible German.
4: Tilschweiger. Um, that, that's a great movie. I mean, that's the one where Anthony Bourdain has a cameo. In, um, because I remember watching, uh, <laughs> I was watching one of the Anthony, Anthony Bourdain shows and he was in Vancouver or somewhere. And, um, he said, "Oh, tomorrow I'm going out to, uh, to meet with who and he's going to put me in one of his movies. And, um, like he saw, he's, he's basically just one of the scientists in this room and there's an explosion and he just has to fly and hit the floor. And that's about it really. Um, but, uh, I was like, oh, wow, that's, and when I finally saw the film, I was like, oh, that's the Anthony Bourdain, um, who evolved, but, um, yeah, truly funny stuff, but I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of promising things, I mean, you look at, uh, our, our, lead character, played by the ever-lovable Jason Statham, um, who, uh, he's a, he's a farmer,
0: named Farmer, farmer.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and he uses a boomerang. I just thought that's fantastic. He's a he's a medieval farmer um, with a boomerang. Turns out he's the son of a king as well. Um, yeah, and I just thought when I saw the boomerang, I thought, oh, this is going to be funny. And like, but you know, like, totally, then it sort of it tries to get serious again. And like, oh, that could be really great, you know. But he gets to use his boomerang uh, a couple of times. I
0: kind just of wish. I wish they had been able to license the glaive from Crawl. <laughs> the yeah, movie pretty cool too.
4: <laughs> that would have been cool. I thought, um, but uh, yeah, so it's um, look, it's 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 a great, big, beautiful, model mess of a movie. And um, but you know, with with the right amount of alcohol and and the right sort of attitude, you can you can enjoy. <laughs> Uh, In the name of the king. I love the sequels actually. Um, he, he does. A, Ubal does a great commentary on three, which starts Dominic Purcell. Um, the second one, of course, has Doug Lundgren. Um, it's called In the, name of, In the Name of the King Two Between Two Worlds or something like that. Um,
0: yeah, I really, I actually enjoyed the second quite a bit, but the third one, the budget is so low that it's just, it's kind of hard to get into. There's an idea there that just, there's not enough money to get it across. Yeah, the,
4: the commentary is really um, a, a great saving point. It's like watching those ones where Joe Bob Briggs has uh, a commentary on the movie's pretty terrible, but Joe Bob's commentary sort of lifts it. And um, to listen to Bolt talk about the, the watching the third one and listening to his commentary, kind of. Is is, is is a little bit more fun than just watching the movie. Because his commentary is so honest. Like, you know, he's a guy that sort of doesn't really joke around too much. He's like, you know, I went to Dominic Passell and he said I didn't want to do it and then they threw some more money at him he said, okay, you
0: know. <laughs> 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 Oh yeah. yeah, I I will say there there is some good stuff in his filmography, but it's whenever he gets attached to a video game that I have a hard time with it. And you know what was that? It was like a German tax loophole that he was using to make these big budget movies because somehow his movies were getting worse at the box office, and yet his budgets were going up. And I didn't know why for a long yeah. time. Then you find out it's some sort of weird tax thing.
4: Yeah, uh, because I asked him. I said like because they weren't doing particularly well. I said these companies to. I said, are these games that you enjoyed or did these companies seek you out to direct these movies? And he said, no. I said, no, they, just, they didn't care about them. They didn't want them, so they just gave them to me.
0: <laughs> wow. It's weird because Far Cry like, is still a very popular game. So, Oh, no, they got the rights to that before the game ever came out, so they didn't know if it was going to be successful. But otherwise, yeah, House of the Dead, uh, Alone in the Dark... Um, I don't know anybody who's ever played Dungeon Siege, so I don't know the popularity of that. But did you notice the Dungeon Siege name is removed from parts two and three? It is, yeah. I
4: wonder yeah. if they took
0: it back. It's just, yeah,
4: I can't three, it. But, um, what was great is um, when Doug Taylor got the job to write the script, and they said it's based on a video game, so he went out and got the video game, and he said, I thought I would have to play this bloody game, you know, <laughs> a lot to get an idea of, you know, but he said the great thing, he said at the start of the game, there's this whole massive prologue which basically gives you all of the history. So he said, it turns out I didn't have to play the game at all. I just had to watch this um, this thing at the start which basically gave you the history of the world and the characters and, and so then he could just go off and, uh, and do, the, do the writing. Well, I
0: but, it's um, yeah. So with our second movie, uh, Sword of the Valiant, I get giddy whenever I see a Canon Pictures logo. Do you get excited?
4: I do, yeah. You you know you're in for a great time with Canon every time. And, you know, when that score starts in and we're there in in, in a very, very, um, you know, very glitzy sort of King Arthur's Court and it's a big feast. And and there's Trevor Howard with, um, you know, his bright orange hair and his little beard and his big crown and... You know, by the looks of you, you haven't come in to bob for apples. You know? um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, everything's hunky dory until um, Sean Connery, Sir Sean, comes riding in as the Green Knight in a very, very glitzy, beautiful costume. That man has worn some tremendous costumes in his career. Uh, the Green Knight being one of them, Sargos being another
0: one. Um, <laughs> in a diaper. Yeah, Highlander. Um,
4: yeah, he's certainly won for, like, making an entrance, uh, and he does that very well. You know, who's the jolly gambler to play my game? Um, so, yeah, and he comes in and asks someone to cut off his head, you know, and you just almost wanted someone to pipe up and say, do you always begin conversations this way? Um, but, um, yeah, but, to remember, like, it's just, uh, if, if in the name of the king had it been done in a similar fashion would have been a lot more fun again um as with with canon which was always the way they had a huge cast you've got Trevor Howard as I said Sean Connery Miles O'Keefe would go on to big things like the Atul films um uh jeez who else did we have like I said John Rhys-Davies
0: was the bad guy from Reader's Lost Ark I can't remember his name
4: yeah Ron Lacey um Peter Cushing um
0: Jeez. Yeah, not really well-known American names, but international names, and that's what Cannon Pictures usually went for because we couldn't afford big American actors. So you know, like they, like they're the first company to really do that whole uh, sell the movie before it's made, and they just use those yeah. international names to get you know investment to make the film. Totally.
4: But um, and and uh, the I mean, they had uh, Stephen Weeks directing the film. And um, the main reason they got Stephen was because Stephen in 1974 had directed a, another version of um, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight um, for, for the British um, British film consortium or whatever they were called at the time. And so uh, he was an obvious choice to come and do it again. This, of course, was a much more lavish production. Um but uh, huge, uh, you know, huge amount of fun, great amount of humor. Uh, I think my favorite line in that whole movie is when... Um, what's funny is, is uh, there's nothing bigger
0: than Miles O'Keefe's wick. <laughs> um, huge. Did he have long hair at the time? Why can not he just use his real hair? I, I think I think he did, but that, that week...
4: Um, I love it how at different points it's kind of straight and then there's different scenes where you see it's sort of curled up at the bottom a little bit. Um, because he starts off as like the humble squire and he's pretty quiet and shaming. But as soon as he gets that suit of armour on him, you watch him riding and he's got one hand on his hip and he starts riding off. And they ride through the forest for a little bit and then he turns to Humphrey, his noble squire, and he says, you know, Humphrey, there's just one thing they forgot to tell me in my swift descent to he said, what's that? How the hell do I ever leave myself in this tense suit? <laughs> and of course, you know, some great lines like that, especially after they go chasing the unicorn through the forest, and he goes, you know, I'm hungry. What food have we brought? He goes, none. A noble knight must hunt for his food or requisition it. He goes, ah, catch it or steal it. And uh, <laughs> so they, they go chasing the unicorn through the forest, and he says, you know, you can't kill that. It's, it's magical. he goes magical he said that means it taste good and um so so they try to hunt the unicorn and they miss because he's a pretty shitty pretty shitty with a crossbow and um and then of course everything uh, falls into place and he's trying to as you know solve the green knight's riddle you know and, uh, which isn't really a riddle really it's it's more like you know it just gives you each line gives you something different to think about um and then of course you know he meets the the pig, Hippocripping friar, and you know, and then he meets Ron Lacey, who's really, really relishing his part again as the villain, as the evil Oswald. Um, and Peter Cushing is his chamberlain or, or whatever, you know, who wears the big fluffy hats. <laughs> you know,
0: it seems Jeff like a movie Oswald. that was a lot of fun to make. You look at all the casts, and you know, I think they know that it's a lower budget fair and that it's tongue in cheek. But they all look like they're having yeah. a blast.
4: Oh, sure, sure, and it's a great, it's it's a great rollick, um, you know. And then of course you need to uh, to limit his his love interest. She's kind of like this weird, like she's madly in love with him, but she seems like she couldn't give a shit most of the time. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> she's always worried about like you know, you know this is what you have to do now, Gwen. You have to do this, Gwen. And he's like, oh shit, really. And like she has no problem being taken off by anyone. Like she runs around a little bit and she screams, but then once they catch her, she sort of goes with the flow. Um, <laughs> you know, she's not she's not terribly seems to be terribly worried about being ca- ca- captured. Another um, favourite scene of mine is when he gets into Leoness there, and uh, the the queen. You know, obviously he's just killed her husband, who was the the guardian. And uh, basically she says, you know, you know, well, now we have a new champion. And she, she, says, oh. And she goes, oh, yes, and and, yes, and then you'll be my husband as well. And then it's like, oh, God, what have I done? You know, I've basically just, you know, hauled you off to the queen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then, you know, there's you know, this great... It's great moves but it also feels like I don't know if you feel the same way, but it feels like there's chunks of that movie that are missing.
0: Oh, definitely. That I they feel. Just afford. I'm almost certain there's a second version of it. It's like an international version and the American version. The American version is a lot shorter.
4: Yeah, because there's some pretty there's some pretty abrupt cuts. Like you get a feeling at the end of the movie, like there was something else that was meant to happen, maybe, and it just it just cuts out. And it's on a still of. Uh, a freeze frame of, of Mars, I like, oh shit, she turned into a bird. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. But, um, you know, but uh, again, very, um, very, very much a canon film. You've got to love canon movies because they, they have such sort of grand intentions, I think. Um, but they didn't quite have everything else to like, to,
0: to pull it off, but you know they, they were they were very good at what they did. Yeah, well, this is before they had big like "fuck you" money. You know, this is before Life Force, Mission, uh, Missing in Action, Delta Force, American Ninja. This is when they were still like, we have a little bit of extra cash because Death Wish Two and Enter the Ninja did well. So they're trying to do a ten million dollar movie on what looks like about three, three and a half, and I'm going to guess a million of it went to Sean Connery for probably two days worth of work. <laughs>
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always the way of it, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's like, um, you know, it was similar to when we did uh, when we were talking about Star Crash and Christopher Plummer, I think his fee was about a was about half the budget, you know, for him to turn up for, for three days or whatever it was and and do his speeches and then bugger off. Um, you know. But I mean to their credit, I mean they they uh, they utilized Sean Connery pretty well I remember talking to Russell Paul once about Highlander 2 and they weren't interested in Sean Connery being just a cameo in that movie they really wanted him to have a you know certainly the backers wanted him to have a substantial role or you know and they really did a good job as they did with using him in sort of the balance. So he kind of stretches through the picture. He doesn't just turn up at the beginning and the end. They sort of put him a little bit through the middle so you remember that he's in it, sort of. Um, you know, he pops up here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you got the feeling that they probably rush to probably do Sean, do all Sean stuff. <laughs> Let's wrap Sean, you know, because... As you know, with these big stars, they went into quite an expensive overage if they didn't uh, finish them in the time agreed. You know, so if they had a week, they had to knock off all the Sean Connery scenes in a week or two weeks or however many.
0: Yeah, well, he was expensive days. by then because he had Hunt for Red October and that Oscar nomination from Untouchables. But when he did Sir Gawain the Green Knight, you gotta say things are looking pretty dire for him because at best he had uh, one James Bond movie, Never Seen Never Again, and Outland. And everything else, man, it didn't make a dime, and no one paid attention.
4: Yeah, but um, no, it's 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 a really great. I watched it again last night. It's it's just it's, it's you know, like I said, it's it's the more I watch it now, I I, I I don't know, I see it see it as very choppy in places. Like it's like yeah, there was probably something that was meant to go there, <laughs> but initially the first. The first times that I ever watched it on video or whatever else were just—it um, was just—it's one of those movies. It's a lot of fun. Like you know, you want to watch a, a, a good canon movie, then that's that's one of the good ones because it's um, it's fun, it's funny, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great stuff because Steven Weeks, the director, who also wrote the script, um, is a great. Lover of uh, Arthurian legend and all the different uh, legends, so he put quite a lot of heart into that movie because not only is this was his chance to do like, as he saw it, a bigger budget version of the story because, like I said, he'd already done a version of *Sergway and the Green Knight* in 1974. So this was his chance to really, as he saw it, probably go all out and do the the biggest, oldest version of this story that he uh, he really loved, and uh, and and do it go all out. And I mean, he had a huge what, what must have been to him at the time seemed like a huge like Sean Connery really, and and Trevor Howard, who's a, a very during his life he was a very very well respected British stage actor, and he would of course you know he was in a version of Mutiny on the Bounty, he was in Superman. He was one of the, the Kryptonian Council.
0: I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that till now. Hi. <laughs> hey, what's that? Oh, I said I didn't even know that he was even in Superman. But then that made me start thinking about that scene with the little uh, hoop things that were in also uh, Hawk the Slayer. And
4: <laughs> yeah. But dear Trevor Howard, he's, um, he's one of the Kryptonian kids. He's the one that says, Be um, warned, Jarrell. You know, he's, um, he's, uh, he's uh, one of the you know, he said if you disobey us, you know, you'll be you'll be sent to the Phantom Zone, the eternal void which you yourself discovered, you know. So he was a very um very great actor, of course Ron Lacey, as you said, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um and and it was a very very uh very well respected and, and well travelled actor, um who'd actually retired, I think, before and came back and did Raiders, and then Raiders kind of reinvigorated his career, and uh, and he went back in and, and did movies after that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at. And, uh, uh, of course, okay. I was okay. Yeah, I was going to say that too.
4: At all the invincible, and what? at all the fighting eagle, and
0: well, he's only really had one went, hit right? movie. It was uh, Tarzan, the ape man, it was a huge hit, even though I've never seen it, and I don't know anybody who ever talks about it. But at the time, it made a shitload of money. It's it's surprising that this is his only other, what you would consider, like, studio fare. Everything else is, like, cheap grindhouse Italian films that were dumped on drive-ins and grindhouses or straight-to-video.
4: Yeah. And then, of course, after he did all those, he did, like, a string of... Um, where he plays, like, a cop. Sort of the long-haired, you know, ponytail cop. He's, like, you know... He was, like, trying to be, I think, like, Lorenzo Lamas, but couldn't quite pull it off. You know? He does a a few movies like that where he's got, like, you
0: know, the movie he did on Um, five. There is a movie called Hell's Heroes, I think is what it's called. It's with him and Chuck Connors, but he does the best Clint Eastwood impersonation I've ever seen by someone who isn't doing an impersonation, just clearly copying him, and it's amazing. Who's this Miles? Yeah, it's Miles. Miles is doing. It. He's a star. Yeah. Of, some people uh, have seen it called Inglorious Bastards Two: Hell's Heroes.
4: Okay, I think I've seen it under that title. Yeah. But uh, it's been a while. But yeah, I can't. I can't recall straight off the top of my Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. Sadly, he's retired. I haven't ever. seen him in forever.
4: Yeah. But um, I tell you, someone who recently said it does an excellent. Clint Eastwood, and that was, um, I spoke to Scott Windhouse yesterday, who's the writer of, they, they, they're doing, they're doing what they have done, they're, they're, they're wrapping up production of a film based on a video game called Dead Trigger, and it stars Dolph Lundgren, and, um, he said that Dolph Lundgren in that movie does one of, this is for, for Scott Windhouse's money anyway, does one of the best clinic, uh, Clint Eastwood impersonations um, <laughs> that he's ever heard, so that would be really interesting to see Dolph Lundgren
0: do it. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything with Dolph. I mean, even though lately it's getting a little slimmer on the choices, because I feel like a lot of times he just shows up in these small roles, but he's doing, you know, he's getting his uh, acting exercises in by doing different roles instead of just being the star all the time. But uh, I pretty much watch anything that he does.
4: Yeah, he's, um, he's definitely, like, all over the place. Like um, I haven't seen Mike Mendes' Don't Kill It yet, which I really want to. Um, which I think will be really f- a lot of fun. I mean, he's done that. I mean, he popped up at the end of Sharknado 5.
0: And heck, next year he's going to be in uh, Aquaman. Yeah, and he's been on uh, um, Arrow this last season.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the guy is... Yeah, he's all over the place. And uh, he's supposedly in the sequel to... Uh,
0: Creed? Creed 2? Oh, right, right. You think they're going to wrap up the Expendables? You think they're going to do another one? Who's that? You know, Dolph and Stallone, all of them. You think they're going to do another uh, Expendables, or is this all talk?
4: Uh, I don't know. I did, I did hear, speaking of Clint Eastwood, I think Clint Eastwood was supposed to be one of them. Yeah. they were going to do a fourth one, they were going to get
0: Clint in there. That would be nice. Uh, like he's their captain? Or he's the one who started the team?
4: I I, I always wanted them to do I put Kurt Russell in. Yeah, just just to see, just to see Kurt Russell and, and Sly in a movie together again, I thought would have
0: been Well, I know Millennium shot. Pictures well enough to know that if they're going to lose their patience eventually, and they're going to continue the Expendables, there's going to be Expendables eight, nine, ten. It's going to be like Mark Deodato, Jeff Speakman, you know, and stuff, you know, Don the Dragon Wilson, guys like that. And I'll still fucking watch it. Yeah, I I just thought it was like
4: when I saw um, Guardians two, Guardians of the Galaxy two. I thought it would have been great, I don't know, somehow that they could have had a scene where uh, Kurt Russell's character and and Sly's has a cameo in it, um, had a cross paths at some point. I just wanna see those two guys in a movie again, like you know, even if they do Tango and Cash Two at some point that would be you
0: know. You know what is funny, if they ran across an alien and uh Stallone looks at him and goes, You broke that guy's jaw? Yeah. <laughs> Robin Zadar, man. Sadly, he's gone. That would have been nice if he was under the alien makeup, but nope. Uh, you broke that jar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it looks like yeah. we're at an hour point now, so uh, anything else you want to say about either one of these movies before we go?
4: Uh, well, you know, I mean, <clears throat> in the name of the king, I, I'm, I'm an Ubal fan, so uh, I'm biased, but you should really drink a Drink a bunch of beer and give it a go. If you haven't seen Sword of the Valley, you really owe yourself to get out and watch it because that's, that's a heck of a lot of fun, that movie. Um, it's great for a laugh. It's a great family film. It's a great you know, get-together-with-your-buddies film if you're a are movie fans. Um, yeah, but uh, they're both, for my money, they're both great films. One, you just need a lot more booze. <laughs>
0: yeah that's the nice thing about In the Name of the King or not In the Name of the King Sword of the Valiant is it was during that glory day of the sword and sorcery film which I'll watch every single one I don't care how big or little they are but most of them were trying to imitate Conan so there's a lot of blood there's nudity you can't watch it with families you know Um, but Sword of the Valiant like Willow is a movie that could be seen by everybody
4: totally yeah a lot of fun and um, yeah like I said Disclaimer: One, you just name of the king. You probably just need a few more drinks to enjoy. And don't be thrown by Burt Reynolds or <laughs> Ray
0: seriously. Okay. Anything you want to throw out there before we go? Uh, nothing. I hope
4: uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. I certainly love doing it. Can't wait till uh, the next one, Waterworld and the Postman. That'll be a lot of fun. Yep. And um, yeah, if you want to listen to me talk more with uh, with the people who make the movies. Uh, You can check me on podcastmossafu dot com, or check out the books at uh, at KHP Scribbling on Facebook.
0: Okay, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all the episodes of Trash Cinema there, as well as Video Night. And uh, have an excellent night. All right. Okay, gang, so obviously there were some audio glitches there. It's my fault. I uh, Well, sort of my fault. I think a lot of it's the overseas thing, because you've listened to episodes that I do with Ken Hill. I love doing episodes with Ken, but every once in a while there's like these weird audio glitches, so it's like a 50-50 shot. There's going to be something weird, or it's going to be a normal episode. This one, I kid you not, and, and you might even hear it, is uh, somehow my phone picked a song somewhere off my SD card and started playing Jesus Jones, um, which is a really obscure reference for music if you don't know who they are, but... Um, Hey, guess what? Uh, I'll treat you to something nice right now.
2: Feel it. Oh, feel it. Sharp, isn't it? <laughs> as sharp as you have sir. East wind is not a equal. Heavy. Is it as heavy as your conscience, sir? Certainly truer than the ladies of this court. (laughs) Sirs, I offer you my only weapon. Unarmed, I shall stand here before you all, my neck bare. My challenge is simple. Let any man among you worthy of the deed take up my axe and hack the head from off my shoulders. Uh, Fear not, brave knights. I shall not move, nor flinch, nor seek to defend myself in any way. I am ready for the blow, but one blow and no more. And I have but one demand. (laughs) Afterwards, if the power is left to me, I have the right to return the blow in like manner. each other you have found the power which is rightly mine How? the firstborn brother they called him voltan and dark one the devil's agent the servant of evil kill him the second born brother they called him hawk he had one secret weapon, the ancient power of the sword of mind, and he was out for revenge. The last thing you will ever see is the woman you love. In my arms. I am ready. Two brothers, two armies... <laughs> Two forces of good and evil. Voltan's army, the Devil's army, and Hawks. A dwarf. A giant. An elfin bowman. A witch. And Hawk. Together they took on the mighty Voltan, together they took on the devil's agent, two blood brothers, with only blood between them. of darkness, there is a world of sword and sorcery.
1: Catapulted into the distant future by a maverick scientist, Carrie Madison and Dan Robot find themselves prisoners of the lost universe. Let <laughs> go, you son of a bitch, or I'll kill you. Captured and threatened by the evil warlord Creole. And terrified by strange beings and nightmare creatures, they spectacularly fight their way through this hostile world. the impossible obstacles, and win the battle to return to the 20th century. Oh, oh. God. Oh, ah. Ah. Oh, shit. Ah. One danger only to find themselves faced with another. Can they ever discover the secret to the dimensional doorway back to their own world? Until they do, they will remain prisoners of the lost universe. Challenge after challenge and face all the dangers and excitements to escape this frightening world. Prisoners of the Lost Universe, starring John Saxon, (laughs) Richard Hatch, and Kay Len. Prisoners of the Lost Universe, a new exciting, action-packed, fast-moving film. See, prisoners of the lost universe
0: hey everybody welcome to trash cinema i'm michael and this uh, this week i can't talk okay i'm, I'm in the field of recording and <laughs> trying to sound a professional and no no i'm an idiot uh Let's start again. Hey, I'm Michael. On the other side is Kent Hill. How's it going, Kent? How you doing, mate? Uh, apparently, I'm going to trip over my own tongue today. That's how this works sometimes. God. <laughs> oh, You're forget. Uh, this episode, we'll be discussing two Terry Marshall films, Hawk the Slayer and Prisoners of the Lost Universe. Um, thank you for suggesting these. I, I am uh, so happy, happy to discuss Hawk the Slayer.
4: Yes, it's very cool. Very... Um, actually... As a little bit of a side note to this, um, I had the opportunity to talk with Terry, um, Geez, when was it? Uh, 2015. And it was during the time he was trying to crowdfund a sequel to the film Hawk, The Hunter. And uh, I had a mutual friend of mine uh, get me in contact and I got in contact with his personal assistant and... I uh, got really close, uh, but apparently there were some differences with the times, and I got it wrong and missed out talking to Terry in person. Oh. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll get that chance again one day. But it was during the time it wasn't a successful uh, Kickstarter uh, for him. Uh, they, they they ended up not making the money that they wanted to to fund uh, Hawk the Hunter. But, um, yeah, so hopefully again some, someday I'll get a chance to, uh, to, to speak to Terry because I'd very much like to do that because I'm a big fan of, uh, of his movies, um, especially these two that we're going to talk about today.
0: You know, what's funny is, while looking this up, I just I always like to have IMDb ready, so I get dumbfounded. My brain's getting old, okay, people? I'm 40 now. It's starting to leave me a little bit. So I cheat with IMDb, but I noticed that he just got greenlit for a TV series called Dubarest of Terra, which apparently is a series of books. It's very popular overseas, just not so much here, because I'd never even heard of it before. Yeah. So I guess sometimes people yeah, like to come back.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a weird business um but they i think they i think they're looking now at these directors that have directed these movies that have had great staying power and sort of saying well these guys had something um you know they they have you know i mean i'm not saying that they they pick them for that reason obviously they're skilled at their craft but you know it's possibly you know sometimes a bit of a sales thing too you know like it's got some you know oh we've got terry marcel who did you know hawk the slayer and whatever so it's got some like nostalgic value but um no but he's he's a good director I'm, I'm very surprised that he didn't that he you know he hasn't been as active i mean he's been trying to get a lot of things off the ground over the years there was supposed to be a sequel pretty much uh straight after hawk the slayer was going to be hawk the destroyer in 1981 um but that you know i, I don't know all the ins and outs of it but um you know, never got, never got through, never got funded, you know, so they couldn't find anyone to pick up the check, as they say,
0: yeah, but, you, um, you yeah. look at the franchise, though, the potential there, you know, it was there, it's just, I, I feel like the heat got taken off of it almost immediately because of Sword and the Source and Conan the Barbarian being such massive hits, you know, Beastmaster and Deathstalker making some decent cash, and I feel like, it was a good opportunity for them to launch a sequel and for some reason it just seems like well no these guys did it better and differently hawk the slayer did it in a way that wasn't offensive to anybody there's no real blood and there's no nudity in it they played it like i guess you would consider the safe route but anybody could watch hawk the slayer
4: sure yeah it's a real like you know my i i showed it to my son recently and um he was like because you know he's watched conan with me and all those other ones. And I don't know, he was kind of, I don't know if he was shocked because it wasn't, <laughs> it, it was, it was so um, family friendly, you might say. And um, certainly Harry Robertson's um, very disco-y, techno <laughs> <laughs> electrical score is just, you know, it's just like, wow. He said, that's a different type of, you know, it's not Basil Pulidorus, you know, so, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, very, it's very, it's very, very, like you said, it's a very friendly. Like there's there's nothing in there. There's there's no gratuitous uh, violence. It's very tasteful. Um, you know, it's a real it's really aimed at, at, at a family audience. And yeah, it's like you were saying. It's probably ju- I think what probably hurt a lot of movies like that in that genre was the sheer uh, avalanche of, of those kinds of movies at that time. And obviously some were regarded as more uh, successful. I mean, they, they all still live on. They all pretty much have their own individual cult followings. But at the time, you can imagine that with a great influx of all of these, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of them are seen as Conan ripoffs. I mean, when I spoke to Jim Wynorski, he said, you know, they, they wanted to do, when they wanted him to do Deathstalker 2, or even, death, you know, talking about Deathstalker, they, they wanted a Conan ripoff because Conan was the hot movie of the genre at the time. Um, And, of course, you can't, with a low budget, you can't really do that, Um, which is what led, you know, in talking about Deathstalker 2 with him, is what led to the reason why Deathstalker 2 is the way Deathstalker 2 is, because they didn't have the money or the production values to do a Conan, any type of Conan facsimile. Because it just wouldn't have come off. It would have come off dopey anyway. So he figured, let's just play it for what it is. But Hawk the Slayer is classy as hell, and it's um, it's 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 beautiful. I, I have a um a, a, just an ordinary DVD version, and the transfer on it is so beautiful, um, and and is so crisp and and everything. I don't know. I forget the name of the company. I'd have to look on the. The cover, but uh, I just got it. I saw it one day, really cheap. It was like in this bin of like two dollar DVDs, <laughs> and it was like, oh, hawk the Slayer, because like I still had the old VHS at, at the time. This is going back, you know, a couple of years now. But, I still had the old VHS and I saw it and go, wow, I hooked the slayer and So $2, that's a steal. Um, and I put it on thinking, like, because I've bought those cheap DVDs before and sometimes the transfers are really shitty. But uh, this one was so crisp and lovely, like, someone who, whoever, whatever the company had picked it up and done this transfer had done a really nice job of it.
0: Yeah, here in America, it was <clears throat> um, uh, which is a very small boutique company. They've only done a few films, like a couple of Peck and Paws. And Hawk the Slayer, I would like to see like Shout Factory or someone big put it out with uh, special features. I want to know the story behind this movie. You know, I want to, I want to see commentary tracks and, and interviews.
4: Yeah, I mean that's why um, when uh, I saw this uh, this Kickstarter back in 2015 for Hawk the Hunter, I sort of went out and I had a friend in the UK who who was a film journalist. And I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get... This was around the time I was starting this straight-to-video series and I was trying to get filmmakers involved um, to write forwards and intros and stuff like that. And I said, do you have links to anyone that you might be able to put me in touch with? And he said, uh, he said, like, who? And just off the top of my head, because I think I'd watched it that night, I said, Terry Marshall. And he went, yeah, yeah, I can totally put you in touch with his... <laughs> personal assistant and so we started emailing back and forth like i said unfortunately um i I don't know what was wrong with the time differences apparently he was waiting for me online and i had the times wrong and so we tried it again and still couldn't figure it out but like i said hopefully one day because um terry's a really nice guy from what i hear and uh and he, he made some really cool uh well he's made some some cult movies here and Hawk the Slayer is um for anyone who doesn't know anyone listening who hasn't seen it it really is one of those eighties sword and sorcery movies even though I consider it sort of more of a sort of more of a a fantasy film than Sword and sorcery, even though it's got swords and sorcery in it but it's it's sort of more of a uh, more of that some, some more along the sides of the fantasy because it doesn't have sort of the barbaric and it's it's not as um graphically violent as some of the other ones but um yeah so fantastic movie and um and just i mean i was just looking the other night when i watched it with my son at the cast list in this movie and i just thought wow he's got like you know being filmed in england you get you get actors that have been you know part players for stanley kubrick in the persons of like warren clark who was in clockwork orange and uh, Patrick McGee, who was in uh, Clockwork Orange as well, and also Barry Lyndon. Um, uh, a very cool uh, actor, in, certainly from my favorite movie, uh, Brian Breslaw who was the Cyclops in Kroll, plays the giant in, uh, in oh, the film.
0: I didn't realize that was the same person.
4: Yeah, that's the same guy, man. That's, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, not Brian, Bernard Breslau. Um, yeah, he was, the, he was the Cyclops in Kroll. Um,
0: Last year we did Crawl for Trash Cinema, yeah, um, and, yeah. and I chose the wrong person to discuss it with because they hated the movie with an unwavering passion. And for anybody who's oh, listened no. to the show should yeah. know that we take movies that were trashed by critics or just dumped and forgotten, and we kind of champion them most of the time. Um, but Girl. I like Crawl, and in fact, the older I get, the better I, I, I look at it. And he was just like, there's a boring piece of shit. And I was like, whoa, we watched two different movies here, buddy. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Oh, that's, yeah, it's my, it's my favorite movie. And when I, I remember when I, when I first saw Hawk the Slayer on, uh, on video and I was like, man, that guy seems familiar. And, and I, I looked it up somewhere and I thought, oh, that's cool. He was the, the Cyclops in Kroll as well. Um, but, I mean, a lot of great performances. Um, Jack Palance is just the most delicious villain <laughs> Little brother. in this movie. <laughs> and he, um, he, he looks like, I don't know, Jack Palance always looks like he, he's a, having a great time on, on most of these movies. But he looked like he was having a whale of a time playing this, uh, playing Boltan. Because, um, yeah, he's like, you know, um, so like, you know, the breathing and the, you know, you know uh, and like, I'll just slice this loaf of bread before I leave this, abbey just to make my point, um, <laughs> you know, because cutting the bread really, like, you know, really seals the deal. Like, he's not to be messed with. He will come in and cut your loaf. Um, you <laughs> How know, dare you? When he, when, when he means business. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but he looked like he was having a great time. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? Harry Andrews is also in it. He was in Superman, Moby Dick, The Agony and the Ecstasy. Um, a great uh, English actor. Um, who is geez, the guy? Who, uh, who is the guy that sorry.
0: challenges uh, Crow to the arrow contest because he looks so damn familiar?
4: Yeah. Um, oh, I'd probably, I'd probably like, I probably, I probably I'm getting like you. I'd probably have to use IMDb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to look that up because it's bugging the hell out of me. Um, John Terry. Yeah. Now, I didn't know who he was at the time. and He's become something of a name because of Lost and Las Vegas. Right. But at the time, yeah. he, he, I think he was like a stage actor who just, you know, tried out for this. And I've heard people comment on this film saying that he's a terrible actor and I don't believe it. He's just a very reserved actor. He is the yin yeah. to Jack Palance's theatrical yang. That's true. And he's
4: just, I, I just love the moments in the film where, there's that little music cue and they turn around and he's just sort of standing there. And it's just like, you know, he's, he's like the Charles Bronson of this world. He's just sort of standing there with that sword and just staring blankly, but he's not to be messed with because he's got that, that very, very cool sword. The, uh, the mind sword or whatever it is. Called. Most awesome um,
0: sword ever.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with the with the you know the glowing uh, green crystal in the end or the glowing stone in the end, but yeah, he was in um, he was in a small part in Full Metal Jacket. Uh, he was in one of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies, The Living Daylights. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean he's like you said, you know he he sort of you know he's a, I mean he's a looking back on a lot of his credits, he was like a steady like a lot of those guys, a steady working actor. Did you know he did some. He did some big things. He did some little things. He did TV. You know, I mean, he's, you know, like most, like most of these actors, like he probably didn't make a lot of waves. Like, I mean, you know, Hook the Slayer's is like cult sort of status, but he you know you. I don't think he ever did anything that was really major um, that that propelled him to to uh, the you know the different level. But there's a lot of great little, uh, like you were saying about the the guy who challenges him. Um, there's a lot of great little bit part actors like that. Like um one of them is um Ah jeez, what's his name? Uh
0: jeez. It's gonna it's gonna disappear. (laughs) Well Uh, while you think about it, let's talk about the core team. This this is the first movie to bring that D and D concept onto film. And a lot of people forget this movie even exists. They're like, oh, yeah, the whole genre started with Conan. No, it didn't. Dragon Slayer and Hawk the Slayer existed before Conan the Barbarian on the big screen. And I think actually Sword the Sorcerer came out a couple months prior. So let's not give all the credit to Conan.
4: No, no, not at all. And um, I was just talking the other day with uh, Chris Wallace, the Academy Award winning uh, uh, effects man.
0: Yeah, he lives not uh, too far from me.
4: Yeah, he created gremlins and... uh, and he worked on, that was one of the first pictures uh, he worked on was Dragon Slayer. Um, but uh, Roy Kinnear, that was the name I was thinking of. Roy Kinnear. Roy Kinnear uh, has, is the, uh, I think he's the innkeeper in the movie. He doesn't look like much of an inn. It just looks like a bit of a lean-to with some tables and chairs out the front. But um, Roy Kinnear was, uh, he was in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He played oh. Baruch Salt's dad, Mr. Salt. He was, yeah. He's a really funny guy. He's the guy that sort of almost looks like he's gonna faint or swoon whenever <laughs> Voltan sort of <laughs> he does this thing with his eyes. He rolls his eyes, and it looks like he's either gonna faint or swoon whenever Voltan sort of gets really close to him. And like, yeah, yeah. you've already said too much, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, really great guy. But yeah, like you said, a lot of these, a lot of people, you know, the 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 uh, the milestones often get. Um, precedent, but they, they weren't. They certainly weren't the first out of the gate. Um, and like you said, Hawk the Slayer was before Conan. Uh, I mean, Conan created that rush, like I was saying before, of of movies like Deathstalker, like Beastmaster, like uh, those kinds of movies. But Hawk the Slayer falls into that other category, like you said, with uh, the Sword and the Sorcerer and um. That other, oh, it's a Roger Corman produced one with David Carradine, the swordsman and the sorceress oh, or something yeah. like that.
0: The one they can't show on television because it's 90% nudity? <laughs> yeah, because
4: Maria Sokka uh, is so- just basically, whenever she tells the future or something, she's got to take her top off, um, <laughs> you know? She's like the uh, the topless uh, psychic
0: in Moorats. Um, <laughs> <with her laughs> Makes temple. no sense. But, I also wanted uh, Kevin Smith saw that movie, it's like, I got to throw this in mind
4: yeah it's like yeah so i can i can only like my my powers only work when i'm walking around with my boobs hanging out <laughs> you
0: know?
4: but um you know it's like lana clarkson in the first Deathstalker. stalker like and i was like why doesn't she have a top like everyone else <laughs> oh roger corman <laughs> i remember watching, uh, I remember watching it as a kid and my mother's going oh geez and she has what, what, what are you watching this and i said uh, yeah i said i'm only watching it for like the sword fighting in the Magic, yeah,
0: sure.
4: yeah, but uh, I thought, and I said, What I, to, to shine her up to, to really seal the deal? I said, Mom, why doesn't that woman have a shirt like everyone else? And he goes, She goes, Well, I don't know, maybe it's too constricted. And, like, okay. <laughs> and, and I said, Yeah, that, that makes sense because she's a warrior, she needs to have freedom of movement, um, and a cloak. Uh, you know, doesn't you know, impede her, but a shirt probably would. Um. <laughs> when, when I was five so, years yeah. old,
0: I watched Conan the Barbarian when it first came out. So me, I was actually six. But um, I remember I had to turn my head whenever there was nudity. Not when there was gore. I didn't have to look away for that. But every time there's nudity, I had to look away, but I find a clever way of looking at the reflection in my parents' glasses. I'm like, yep. Oh boy. Oh boy." <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, but um, no, hook um yeah, Hawk the Slayer is a really it's it, it really stands on its own from a lot of those movies. Like even though it deals with a lot of the same things um, in that genre, you know, it's a, it's it's a it's a, as much of a revenge story as it is a you know, like a rise to power sort of thing as well and like the birth of a legend and but we get the idea that Hawk in the ensuing in like, in like there must be like a time lapse there somewhere. Because when um, when William Shepard's character, he's the one-armed or the one-handed man, um, when he goes to see the High Abbot, who's played by Harry Andrews, and Harry Andrews obviously already knows about Hawk, because he gives him the gold coin. He says, "Give this to this man; he'll know that he is needed." He goes, "What's his name?" He's known as Hawk, you know. So obviously, uh, Hawk's been out there gathering himself a, b- a bit of a reputation as a as a swordsman and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, there was, there was a, this, there is, and there was a lot of room there for like, okay, what else did this guy do in his spare time? Um, what did he do getting around? And, um, you know, and it's just, this was this, I think this was really meant to be like the tip of an iceberg for a lot of other adventures. Yeah. Um, and if like,
0: not, you know, nowadays you can turn pretty much anything into a comic book and I'm shocked that they haven't done a miniseries at least.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all the there's all the ingredients there because obviously when the film ends, I mean, fair enough, um, Ray Charleston, who plays Crow, is is dead, and also um, Peter O'Farrell, um, who plays the, the dwarf, uh, he's character. dead too. But Flat-out
0: favourite character. Yeah, and and
4: if you notice, um, for fans of both films, and certainly the two films were taught, Peter O'Farrell and... Ray Charleston also appear in Prisoners of the Lost Universe as well. Um, Ray Charleston, who plays Crow, who plays the Green Man in um, Prisoners. And also Peter O'Farrell plays the the little, uh, he's the thief who always is trying to steal Richard Hatch's watch um, throughout uh, Prisoners as well.
0: I, t- I have a sticking point with the fact that I never saw him as green. He's gray on my – gray-bluish on my DVD. <laughs>
4: I know. He's, he's very much a Romero zombie color for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he's more sort of – yeah, I don't see him as green either. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, <laughs> the DVD the, – well, my, my VHS is almost shit the bed, but the DVD copy that I have um, is not really the best um, – transfer it looks like it was probably taken off a video at some point because um, <clears throat> it's really kind of the the contrast is really shitty and it's you know it's not the best it's not the best way to see that movie because that movie like walk the slayer is man, it's just it's so much fun both of these movies are really so much fun like the last episode we did talking about luigi Cozzi's movies they're really rollicking great fun and harry um robertson scores for both films are like, ridiculously, like, you know, like, Hawks is very sort of techno-y, disco-y, you know, and uh, Prisoners is really, like, triumphant. Like, as soon as there's something triumphant happening, like, as soon as Richard starts, Hatch starts uh, kicking ass with his sword because um, we found out that he's, like, a kendo master because when he meets the chick at the starchy break, she accidentally broke his kendo sword when she plowed into him on the highway. Uh-huh. Drove his, you know, she doesn't just break hearts. This girl, she breaks kendo swords. <laughs> when uh, she makes a very strong and, point, and when, <laughs> and when she's not, uh, when she's not trying to hypnotize cobras with, uh, with uh, high B flats, um, she's out breaking hearts and running into guys and snapping their kendo swords.
0: Is that a thing, uh, <laughs> or is that made up for the film? Can you actually do that? What with the snake? I don't know. Oh, I don't know why I asked I you. Don't... Like, oh, Kent, you're a snake expert. Let me know. <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to google it well, um, you know Dr. what i google wish we could so. do i wish you could take all the stuff that we see in movies and see if you could actually do it yeah. in life i think there's a show called Mythbusters that does that but um it'd be fun to just yeah. see that works
4: <laughs> yeah but we'd, we'd probably do like the more obscure version like some of the you know like can you really snap a kendo sword by driving a man off the road <laughs> <laughs> Into the side of... I mean, does that snap a kendo sword, really? Yeah, it's sad <laughs> that... Like just a piece of bamboo?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sad that we're talking about this is. after Richard Hatch is gone and, and a, a fairly young age, uh, which is horribly disappointing.
4: Yeah, Richard Hatch. Um, as Dan Roebuck. What a not, great
0: name. Not that. the actor Dan Roebuck. <laughs> but yeah, what a great name for an
4: electrician who also knows kendo. Um, yeah, and... <laughs> man that movie um prisons of the lost universe is just um it's a really lost little gem and I mean i i I tracked it down because when I saw movies as a kid and I liked a certain director I tried to track down anything else they'd done and uh, was able to find this movie and I still have my VHS of it as well it's kind of like I said it's kind of kind of crappy it's it's near the end of its life. But um, by that time, when I finally found it, I had seen uh, Battlestar, obviously, um, on television. And I was like, wow, yeah, Richard Hatch, this is cool. This is going to be great. And John Saxon, the, the incomparable John Saxon.
0: Still busting ass. I can't
4: believe it. Yeah, I a, heard my voice. What a, <laughs> yeah, what a great guy, man. I mean, he's he's just he's always like the quintessential... The baddest guy in the universe, like he was in uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, and so many other oh crap, ton of other credits, man. The the dude's is just unstoppable. But he plays Keel, Keel, sorry, the Keel, um, in uh, in Prisoners, and he's the baddest guy because he's got guns. He's the only guy who's got guns, and um, the guns have been helping him uh, dominate this world because as we find out in the plot, this kind of, this place that they, this lost universe that they get sucked in, is kind of like Narnia. Like the time is different. Like, uh, even though the, um, even though Carrie passes through, um, only seconds after Dan, Dan's been there like a week when she's been there like a day. So the professor, uh, uh, professor Hartman has been there for like years or something. Cause he went through like, you know, a good sort of 10 minutes, before the rest of them, so, you know, and he's been there, uh, hanging out, and, uh, managed to convince them that he's a sorcerer, and, uh, yeah, he's been making, uh, gun, he's been trading gunpowder for, um, you know, them not cutting his head off, and all that sort of stuff, which happens in this time, and, um, yeah, great little man, full of, it's really full of great sort of, well, let's just throw everything at it, it's the same with Hawk the Slayer, it's like, throw everything at it, um, and they've got some great – you know, like there's cavemen in it. There's these weird um, – The
0: cats, the cat people
4: or whatever. Yeah, they were. cat people that, that, yeah, that roar or something. And, and the chick refers to them as midget pygmies, which is like <laughs> – <laughs> Those pygmy midgets is like, wow, if they aren't that – I don't think they were that short, but...
0: um. Have you seen... This is going off topic a little bit. There's a really obscure Filipino post-apocalyptic movie called Warriors of the Apocalypse, where the villains are pygmies.
4: Yes, I have seen that.
0: Terrible movie, but it's fascinating in its awfulness.
4: Yeah. Oh, man. Um, It's... it's, I remember watching that, and there's this other, other movie that's a sword and sorcery movie, and its English title is Throne of Fire. But it has so many it's got about four or five other different titles that it's come out under. And um, yeah, and man, those like it, it, you know, the the these movies don't these movies generally like if it wasn't for VHS I gotta figure that they would be they would be nothing. They they would vanish um completely. Not probably not Hawk the Slayer, but definitely prisoners
0: yeah and, well uh, well here and in america that, uh, prisoners has gone public domain so we always okay. have these collections of like 10 movies like sci-fi movies you know you get them for five bucks and prisoners of the universe uh, lost universe always seems to be on there
4: right but um yeah and that's and that's i mean I, I i encountered the same thing the other day i was talking to someone about that movie slipstream i know that's completely off what we're talking about but um it's public domain because i wanted like Every time you'd see like these, you know, two science fiction movies or, you know, four science fiction and slipstream was always like included on there um, because it um, it basically bankrupted Gary Kurtz uh, back in the day. And so, yeah, it's public domain as well.
0: Yeah, and that's not a bad movie. That's one we discussed maybe doing in a future episode. Um, which I finally watched the whole way through and mature enough not to need laser blasts every 5 seconds, you know, to sit with the story, let it develop and, and enjoy it. and this time Slipstream turned into actually a pretty damn good movie.
4: Yeah. It's it's not bad. It's um, it's <clears throat> I mean it definitely wasn't what the po- like I remember seeing the poster for it, oh, yeah. it came out and I was like, wow, this looks cool. The director of Tron and the producer of Star Wars. And it's got Mark Hamill. And, uh, you know, I mean, shit, it's got Ben Kinsley in it. And F. Murray Abraham and Robbie Coltrane. And and you just go, wow, this looks really good. And then you kind of watch it and you, you, you're you let down a little bit because you think, oh, this is kind of it's different. Um, it's cold. Yeah, it's the not... whole
0: movie feels very, very cold, which is unusual for a sci-fi yeah. movie in the 80s yeah, it's
4: just like, wow, it's not, wow, that you know, it's, I mean, fair enough, it's got a lot of uh, action, and there's some great music cues and stuff like that, and I was just, but I, I remember feeling kind of like ambivalent, I was sort of like, wow, I didn't hate it, and I didn't love it, and I was just like, yeah, but sort of the more I watch it, the more I watch it over the years, it's kind of, <clears throat> it's one of those films that sort of grow on you, the more you watch it, but, um, yeah, but yeah, Hawk, I mean, Hawk, Hawk the Slayer, I mean, in watching it again, and I watched it again, like I said the other night, it um, it's a film that, you know, because, because like nowadays people will watch it, and they'll probably have seen a lot of the other films that came out in that genre around that time before they get to Hawk the Slayer, even though it was one of the first. And you, you get to it, and you're just like, wow, that's, uh, that, that's such a it's so like, man. Uh, so like, the the all of the all of the bits and pieces um, that come together to make those films uh, are there, and you wait for them, and they're kind of they're they're predictable. But in this film, they're kind of like there's there's this inherent sort of playfulness, I think, in this movie where it's it's. To, for it to work, they have to play it dead serious. It's like a lot of those kinds of movies where if I think if it was tongue, if it was tongue if it was done tongue in cheek, sort of like death, uh, sorry, death Stalker Two, it wouldn't have been as good. Like but because there's a lot of um, serious actors in this and when they play it to the hilt, it gives it that charm. Like um, Patrick McGee, who plays the leader of this, um, this little cult of dudes that have um Peter O'Farrell tied up and they're gonna basically burn him (laughs) alive and he's like silence ugly one you know and uh brethren and every time he says brethren they fire arrows and like (laughs) and it's like you know you you will you know you'll burn to death and your body will be consumed by the holy waters and you will be purified you know but (laughs) but um you know, if, if it had have been, if that had have been done sort of more Deathstalker 2 ish, it mightn't have been the same way. But Patrick McGee was, um, and a lot of those guys were pretty serious actors. Even Harry Andrews, who was a longtime member of the Royal Shakespeare Company before he started doing, you know, films like uh, The Hill and Moby Dick and The Agony and The Ecstasy. And he was part of the, the Kryptonian Council in, uh, in Superman.
0: Speaking of Superman, they reused one of the uh, special effects, that little ring thing. They reused. I oh, know that's
4: right. That's yeah, totally. Like anyone, anyone who uh, loves their uh, Richard Donner's uh, Superman will recognize the um, the rings that were keeping. I don't know if they were keeping Terry Stamp and the rest of them at bay while they were standing there being uh, tried by Marlon Brando. But um, yeah, they're there, and <laughs> I love how I love how sort of solemnly they're all sitting there while he goes and gets like each one of them. <laughs> like you know, he goes, he goes and gets like Brian uh, Bernard Breslaw first, and then Bernard sitting in the background solemnly, and then he goes and gets Crow, and then Crow sitting in the background solemnly, and then he goes and, get, and then you know because the um, uh, what's her name? Patricia Quinn plays the um, the blind. Sorceress, seer, whatever you want to call her, and um, she was also uh, she she was also in some other. She was in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, Rocky Horror, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's right, yeah, and um, yeah, and she's like oh, Lord Hawk, and you know she's you know doing. <laughs> I love how <laughs> she plays going, it. She...
0: You know, the funny thing is there is humor in this movie. A lot of it comes from uh, the elf, not the elf. Uh, uh, Peter O'Farrell's character. Why am I absent-minded? um balden okay i forgot that was his name so i wouldn't even guess right in the first place yeah. there's humor from his yeah. character but maybe it's un- unintentional maybe it isn't intentional because they play it so insanely straight that some of the stuff you can't yeah. tell if they're pl- you know like the way they do with like airplanes and does like, that. It's like it, are, are they playing a joke on us i can't tell if they're serious or unintentionally you know funny uh,
4: um
0: i think i think that unintentional humor
4: is one of the greatest uh little inclusions in a lot of these uh, movies that we talk about on this show, like when we did the show about uh, all of the seasonal pictures, like uh, King of the Kickboxes and whatnot. It's not really – it's not meant to be – I don't think it's meant to be funny, I think. (laughs) But I think the – in talking about the charm of these films, the unintentional sort of funny lines – Um, and because they're played so serious they do come out funny and certainly some of the actors like you just wonder if Jack Palance played that part the way he did for for laughs or if he was being that's how he considered being a genuine tyrant Um, (laughs) you know you know herds of darkness (laughs) I offer you my sword and you know and um, you know like uh, when he's when he's down by the down by the riverside um and he's got hawk tied up and he's gonna shoot him with a crossbow and basically says that he's pretty much going to uh have it off with hawk's girl while he's dying in front of him um he's pretty much like yeah, the next one will see you in hell little brother
0: you know <laughs> hey when you first discovered these movies how did you see them did they play in the theater where you lived
4: uh no no all all VHS all VHS. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have seen, um, Hawk the Slayer. Prison. I would have loved to have seen them in uh, in the pictures, but uh, yeah, no. All all VHS all VHS. They were all part of this great section in the videos that was called the Adventure section. Uh huh. Um, and um, which which also had like sci-fi as, as well in there, but um, it was it was a pretty heady mix. Um, but, yeah, all VHS um, from back in the day. And I've still got the old the, – the copy that I have of Hawk the Slayer came out of the um, – out of that video store when they, they liquidated a lot of their tapes uh, many years back. And um, it was released over here by this company called Palace Entertainment. And it has that um, – it has, the, of course, the, the poster art in the center, but it has this very – still very bright and garish yellow border <laughs> all the way around and that's it really made that video stick out on the shelf
0: huh a lot of more... was yours big box because we had the big huge cardboard boxes for both of those movies and they put the original poster no gold on it I don't think I could be wrong but yeah. you know he's got Hawk holding the sword and everything around him right yeah yeah and it has
4: got you can see Jack Palance's... The you know one of the one of his eyes and the top of the helmet just over his head and you can see Crow sort of firing an arrow off to one side and uh, and the sorceress uh, lady sort of standing down down on the opposite corner sort of the pyramid of people type uh, uh, setup. Excuse me. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah, those those initial in the early in the early eighties over here we had big box, but then by sort of eighty. Six eighty seven, it, it had reverted to these um, <clears throat> these the you know the sort of the, the video cases as we as we later knew them but they were big boxes to begin with
0: yeah i think that's what happened here around 8687 those smaller companies realized they couldn't compete with the big studios that were doing the slim sleeves and there is a yeah. beauty in like those early mgm uh, usa had released uh hawk the slayer i can't remember who released prisoners of the lost universe but the hawk the slayer case you know you open it up and on the inside it had all the credits and then you had the, the plastic holding case inside the big cardboard it was it was art
4: yeah yeah and like you said it displayed the original um the original poster art on a lot of them instead of like <clears throat> you know sometimes derivatives or like a different like the, the VHS uh, as often referred to as the, the VHS art, which was usually like a, a photograph, you know, usually probably from a still photo from the film with just the title stuck over it or something like that, you know, which, which happened a lot. Um, over here, there was, you know, some movies came out and it was usually just um, a still from the film.
0: Which is the worst the way. Title. Honestly, it's a shitty shitty yeah. way to put together a case. Yeah. And um, you know,
4: so you always, you know, uh, I remember when Highland, Highlander two when Highlander two came out over here, and it, would, it because it didn't do so well. It completely bypassed the cinemas.
0: Really, because it was but, a huge deal here. Well, for that company,
4: it, yeah. But um, it, it. I remember it. I remember it bypassed the cinemas here, but the video store got a whole ton of this great, um, this big cardboard uh, stand up. Uh, in the store and a lot of cool posters. And the video the, the video case, I remember, it was one of these big, thick, you know, it was, you know, video cases with the same art on it. And, and the art that came over with it was um, Christopher Lambert sort of looking up into the heavens, and, and there was a sort of silhouetted Sean Connery off to one side. And it looked really cool. And um, this is, of course, Highlander 2, the quickening... Uh, as it was originally released not the not the subsequent renegade versions or the ultimate cut this is uh back when they were uh free men from the planet (laughs) Zeist. um (laughs) uh, but uh but uh yeah so that was um that in that case that was a really cool like video uh campaign it wasn't just you know like a lot of them tended to be sort of in the in the in the in the mid between sort of eighty three and eighty six. There were a lot of these ones that were just still photos, uh, with the title sort of plastered on, um, or a still photo with a with a nice sort of border around it and the title. But they weren't very they weren't very attractive uh luckily the films were better than the covers in those instances but with, with a lot of these great sort of straight to video movies it was usually the opposite usually the cover was the poster art was beautiful and the movie was kind of shitty
0: yeah but, uh, Jeez. so many times <laughs> but, yeah. i've been tricked by an excellent poster like son of a bitch they got me again <laughs>
4: uh, it's like *Deathstalker* 4 um has a really uh, oh, again gosh. continues the art um uh, the same artist who did all of the Death Deathstalker posters. I can't think of his name. Usually I can offer him, but he did all of them. Uh, the art for that, uh, yes, Boris. That's right, uh, Boris Vallejo. And um, the poster for that was really cool. Um, but Deathstalker for that, I don't. I love it. I, I love all the Deathstalker movies, but it, it is not the poster. So don't be deceived.
0: No, <laughs> four was a disappointment. Okay, so uh, to rewind a little bit. The very first time that I discovered Hawk the Slayer, I had seen like the last half hour on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I was completely like thrown off. I was like, why is that elf shooting thirty times? Why are they pulling the bloodsport editing? D- don't tell me Van Dam didn't steal some of his editing skills from watching Hawk the Slayer. Yes. I see it right there.
4: <laughs> totally, and the same with um, with Prisoners, when uh, Richard Hatch finally gets to open up and show us all, what all those Kendo lessons paid for. Uh, with the big sword battle at the end when they finally destroy John Saxon's uh, fortress and he they don't do it so much when he's doing the sword fighting but when he does uh, some of his karate moves like when he does ninja chops to the necks and the the kicks they do that sort of that double cut um, you know or shimmy the shimmy the camera uh, shimmy the uh, the edit like they used to to make it look like he kicked him more than once um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but that was great. And I love how they cut uh, when Crow fires his boat. Like, he's so fast. Um, it looks like he only fired once, but he's really fired, like, multiple times. Yeah. And, of course, you've got um, – I love um, William Shepard's character. He's the one-handed man. I love his um, his crossbow where it's got literally, like, a cartridges and they can fire. Or he fires, like, six or eight that, of those little arrows. Like is that quick a succession. thing?
0: Is that a, or is that a thing made up for that movie? Because I watched Van Helsing years later, and I go, if that's not real, it's clearly Stephen Summers watched Hawk the Slayer. There's a lot of stuff stolen from Hawk the Slayer in my mind.
4: <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I remember. Yeah, I remember watching Van Helsing, thinking, yeah, they totally ripped off uh, Hawk the Slayer um, with the uh, the the rapid fire uh, crossbow. It seems to. Uh, I think I think it's actually like a a wish weapon, like someone wishes that they had have invented. Um, like a, a crossbow that had like a cartridge, yeah, and it just could fire multiple arrows. But um, it's, uh, yeah, very lots of very cool stuff. Great, unintentionally funny moments in both movies. Like, one of my favorite scenes in Hawk the Slayer is um, when they go to steal the hunchback's money, the slaver on the river. Um, and in the end they, they tie a, a mace up to the tree and they put the rope in his mouth so if he talks which he eventually does opens his mouth the uh, <laughs> the, the thing falls and of course uh, you know you know messes up his head pretty pretty good but um, and also, I love the, the Patrick McGee's little brethren when they're going to burn all Mate to death on this little raft. He's like, you know, sailings
0: ugly one. <laughs> it, he eats the whole fish. He, just, he takes the whole fish and shoves it down his mouth. That's <laughs> so gross, but it's so I know bad. I love it's that. Funny. He
4: whips he whips whips the water and um, yeah, I love that dude, man. And especially when he's um when they they're about to have a feed in the church, and he's <clears throat> he's mates about to have the whole chicken. Bernard Brestel is about to have the whole chicken to himself, and Peter goes, "Oh, you know, I don't know how I don't know how you might feel different afterwards." He goes, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, it's holy food. You know, <laughs> it's it has, it nice. has different effect. It has different effect on certain people." And then because he's so short and he's standing next to Bernard, he's he's like, "Well, you know, you're such an expert. You you uh, you test it." And so he does, and so and I look at his face, he's like, "Oh." Damn, this is good. <laughs> he goes well, well, and he's like, "Oh, no, I better test a bit more, you know." <laughs> so he like, "Little brother, if I find out you've been lying to me, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bop your head for you." Uh, but, I like uh, to
0: believe that Peter O'Farrell is playing an alternate universe version of him, his character in Hawk the Slayer in Prisoner of the Lost Universe. I'm like, they're so uh, close. It's just like if the world was just an alternate twist.
4: Yeah. And I love it. He gets the last line of – I remember watching that for the first time and I thought, okay, yeah, uh, uh, Dan and Kerry go back through the portal and the professor's like, no, wait a minute. I thought he was going to tell him something. And then it's just the last shot is Peter Farrell 'Farrell going, ah, wait, the watch. And then it freezes and that's the end of the movie. Um,
0: (laughs) What, What was the doctor or the scientist going to say? I don't know. It's just like all of a sudden the directors I, are like, "I eh, forget it. Let's, let's cut that.
4: Yeah. I think he was about, I don't know if he was about to say, wait, you know, you, you won't go back to where we came from. You'll go somewhere else. You know, maybe uh, it was a potential sequel in there.
0: Yeah. The uh, adventures. Yeah. And Prisoners of the Lost Universe was a Showtime movie over here. And I don't know if Showtime planned on doing a franchise or um, they had bought it from somebody else since it couldn't get theatrical distribution or something.
4: You're right. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. Again, with Hawk, I don't know if they were setting it up like potentially a sequel. the adventures of Dan and Kerry in, in, in the next dimension. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like a thing with a lot of those 80s movies where they, there was there was room there to grow or, or they actually announced a sequel at the end, like at the, the end of Buckaroo Bonzo. They basically said that Buckaroo Bonzo was going to be back
0: huh. and
4: we're still waiting I know. Um, <laughs> How many
0: sequels have we been... The la- 80s were filled with, uh, hey, we're promising a sequel, and I think the only one that followed up pr- and on that promise was Back to the Future.
4: Yeah, pretty much, yeah, to be continued. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, even Masters of the Universe and Skeletal, oh, I'll be back. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. But, of course, it never, it never materialized, um, unfortunately. But, I mean, uh, I, I thought... Like I said, back in 2015 when uh, they were mounting a Kickstarter crowdfunding for Hawk the Hunter, I thought that would be great. And it was. there was there was a lot of rumors flying around that, that, that John Terry was going to come back and play like an older version. Sort of, he was going to be like, uh, you know, the King Conan rumors where Arnie's going to play like an older Conan. And um, obviously, you know, I mean, I don't know. Where the story would have gone from there. Obviously, Jack is not with us anymore. Uh, Bernard Bresler is also gone. Um, I'm not sure about Ray Charleston, if he's still kicking. Um, you know, but um, Peter O'Farrell, uh, he he did some. He did a lot. He was in. Uh, he was in a lot of. Uh, I remember. I remember seeing him. I actually think I remember uh, cheering slightly. When I saw him in uh, the Salkinds did uh, Santa Claus the movie, um, which had David uh, Huddleston who was the Big Lebowski, yeah yeah, uh, uh, and and Peter F. Errol plays one of Dudley Moore's uh, offsiders uh, in the in the elves workshop there uh, because he's a little British guy as well.
0: Well, I remember seeing him. Did you watch the TV show? It was only on for like I think half a season or maybe one short season, but it was called Darkest Night. Uh, Terry Marcel also did that, and Peter O'Farrell shows up as a reoccurring character. Not a good show, but you can see he was trying to do something big on a very very tiny budget. Which both these movies are very small budget. He's he's working it.
4: Sure. Like, and they they're both. uh, You get the feeling like if he had, you know, I don't know how much more but they probably would have been a lot more Like they they're very ambitious for what they are like I think Prisoners of the Lost Universe is for for a for a very small budget movie is pretty ambitious like I mean you you're dealing with interdimensional travel uh you're dealing with this uh you know the, you you're trying to fit in martial arts action uh you're trying to fit in uh obviously mutant races you know uh, I mean obviously I mean you can only sort of you can see where he's had a lot of ideas. Oh, we can probably only, we've got the the beast in the lake. We've got the cat, uh, you know, uh, dwarf pygmies, midget pygmies or whatever she calls them. Uh, you've got a caveman. You've got the green, more bluish than green, gray <laughs> guy. Uh, you've got. There's a whole lot going on. Like you got you got the feeling like okay, and there's this. Are they? They're obviously not entirely primitive. But they are, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a whole there's a whole lot there. You got a feeling if he had, you know, maybe a little bit more money, that that you know, there's a lot more could have explored. Um, Hawk the Slayer, Hawk the Slayer is, 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 is weird. Like you get the feeling like if you saw a big budget version of that, it probably wouldn't play the same as it does.
0: Now there's something you know. there's something fun in the kitsch of it. I remember watching it with some friends and they heard the disco music and they're like, "Oh, what is this shit? Turn it off." And I go, "That's part of its charm." You know, it, yeah. it well, they don't do that with Lady Hawk and Lady Hawk has a soundtrack that does not belong in that era at all. Same with the thing with Call yeah. the Conqueror. It's got a heavy metal soundtrack, but no one seems to be bothered by it except for the disco. I think there's just an inherent hate yeah. for disco.
4: Yeah, but I I I think it's- beautiful like he's he's riding along like there's the montage where he's hawks venturing to uh you know get further along in the plot and there's that psh, psh, you know yeah. all the uh the disco label, psh, psh, you know and i love that little there's that little music cue that always precedes him that doo-doo. Which mm-hmm. shows and up.
0: Doesn't it show up in Prisoners of the Lost Universe when they go through the little portal zapper thing? Yeah when,
4: they, yeah, when they when they go when they go through the portal, the same sound when he um, teleports backwards and forwards from the cave to find the three, his three, three bodies um, is the same sound effect. It's really... You know, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's only people like us who pick up on these things. <laughs>
0: uh, also, we've uh, seen Hulk uh, the Slayer like 60 but, times. Uh, but
4: yes, it is It is the same. The, the teleportation sound is the same sound, folks. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those little moments where you smile and go, yes, that's the same noise.
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. We are now at our hour point, so it's time to wrap things up. Kent, is there anything you want to plug before we go?
4: Uh, well, these two movies, Hawk the Slayer, if you have not seen uh, Hawk the Slayer or Prisoners of the Lost Universe, then you really should. Um. DVD, I think DVD's widely available for The Slayer. Is there a Blu-ray yet over there? Somewhere? No,
0: God, I wish. <laughs> and I really want a distributor who has more money to put into special features. Hen's Tooth, like I said, is a mom-and-pop shop. Um, they yeah. did a good job and they, they retained the original art, which I, I fucking hate it when, like, MGM used to take the original art and chop it up into something more modern and like, no, no, it's not collectible at all. Stop it.
4: <laughs> yeah. But no, that would be really cool. Blu-ray, uh, for the powers that be that may be listening, a Blu-ray of this with uh, Terry Marce- uh, Marcel and um, John Terry and his part, yeah. yeah, John Terry, um, yeah, it would have been great if they had have done like a uh, a special edition back when, say, Jack Palance was still alive and had Jack. <laughs> uh, even if he even if he came in like uh, Samuel L. Jackson on the commentary for Deep Blue Sea and basically talked up until the point where he died.
0: Uh, i didn't (laughs) know that (laughs) i don't know did you have you heard that one you haven't Uh, no i haven't listened to the commentary you know deep blue sea is definitely ripe for this show and uh, i've been kind of thinking about how to wrap the season up um yeah i mean you and i have only done two this season but i have a few other people coming in but the guy that i did the series with on a regular basis he's finally out of college so we're gonna do some stuff but he usually just likes to talk about like horror and like really sleazy stuff Whereas you and I seem to have yep. hooked on to the fantasy elements. So the next episode that we were talking about doing was uh, um, In the Name of the King, uh, Dungeon Siege, yep. Tale, and um, uh, Miles O'Keefe. What the hell is that? Um, the good Miles O'Keefe film. Sean Connery.
4: Uh, oh, yeah. uh um, Valiant.
0: Thank you. So the Valiant. I kept yeah. saying Sir Gawain the Green Knight, but that's the original story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That seems... Now, I'm not sure if I can handle Dungeon Siege. The movie seems like it's six hours long. I'm sure it wasn't. I <laughs>
4: Oh, Mate, it's it's a gem. It's a gem. I would prefer to talk story.
0: about I don't know, like conquest or Deathstalker, but I will I will watch in the name of the king, and we'll, we'll see where we go with that one. Yeah,
4: but no, we should we should
0: do a deep blue sea, and uh, I don't know another
4: uh, two headed shark attack or
0: something. like that. Well, I uh, <laughs> think. Three- uh, I've been thinking about, like, okay. uh, John Sayles, uh, his alligator movie, or, or something in that vein. Something, oh, yeah. you know, technically Deep Blue Sea is a good movie, it's just so outrageous. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk to me about that direct-to-video garbage that's been coming out for the last 10 years. I'm never going to discuss yeah. anything that's intentionally made bad. Yeah, a-
4: actually, actually a good one to be doing, I don't know if you can get it over there, you might find it on YouTube, it's called Dark Age. It's a it's the Australian giant prop movie. Really? really? <laughs> yeah. It um it recently resurfaced when they did not quite Hollywood, which was the um the the documentary about the Osportation era, mm-hmm. yeah. and the only available print, and it turns out it's the same print which they have done the DVD transfer was from the private collection of Quentin Tarantino. Um, and it is uh it was basically discovered because there's another there was another big croc movie made here recently. It's called Rogue. Um, but the director of that in doing his pre-production discovered this film, Dark Age, which, which um, basically due to a lot of complicated licensing and stuff never got, after its original theatrical release, I don't know if it got an international theatrical release. Um, I think it only was the States and Australia and a little bit UK. Um, but after that, it disappeared. There was no release on video. Um, but when this documentary came around they basically discovered this film uh, the director discovered this film and he said oh, I'm not the first big croc movie made in Australia there's this movie called Dark Age um, yeah so that could be a good uh, Deep Blue Sea Dark Age um, you know double feature there if you can
0: find it I'll give it a shot but there's, there's a surprise <laughs> I've been waiting to tell you I want to end the Ooh. season discussing Waterworld and Postmen with you Oh (laughs) that was a bigger reaction than I expected. Holy shit. I I had a little bit of an orgasm. (laughs) Um, uh,
4: That's fantastic. (laughs) I love those. Not so I mean (laughs) that's fantastic two movies that i champion
0: i i adore both movies both were tore apart by the critics one massive flop one i I did okay but over the years people have like kind of started to discover waterworld but they haven't really got into postman and i i think that would be a big ending for the season oh i'm I'm so
4: happy i'm so happy
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody (laughs) um Check us out on Facebook under Video Night. That's where all the episodes of Trash Them are also going to be with our other show. Um, each have their own identity. Uh, check out your stuff over at Podcasting them softly. And uh, yes. I think that's about it. So thank you very much for joining me with this episode.
4: Thanks, yeah. Thank you very much, Michael. And thank you for that lovely little... Uh,
0: Thank you for that happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, go clean up. All right, let's listen to a little bit of the (laughs) excellent score. Everybody knows the score from Hawk the Slayer. How about Prisoners of the Lost Universe? It's not a bad score.